Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast, the show where I speak to some of our favorite artists and musicians about how they've gone along their way, how they've survived their life in music. And we get a comprehensive guide on this episode to Kit Berman, newly acquainted as The Natural, whose new record Tethers is out now, produced by Andy Savers, who also did the new Black Country New Road record. And then we also go back in time to Kip's life in Pains of Being Pure at Heart, the much-loved New York band. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you do indeed enjoy it, please go ahead and review it or rate it 
or send a message to a friend. You can text them saying, hey, I'm listening to this comprehensive guide about Kit Berman. There is nothing else on the internet that is as deep as this episode about Kit Berman of the natural, of the painter being pure at heart. And I think that might be true. Not sure. We'll find out. Thank you so much for listening. East London's Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team, and a whole lot of other bands. You can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk. They've got a load of beers. They've got non-alcoholic options on there as well. If you want to order something directly to your door, you can get 10% off with the voucher code 101podcast, all capitals. All right, here's Kit Berman from The Natural. Go well. Well, Kip, thanks so much for for being up for this. You know, I'm a I'm a massive fan. Well, Giles, I, I know I really appreciate you taking the time to do this because, um, you know, it's like I'm starting a new uh, chapter of my musical life yeah. or identity, and it's it's just um, it's very kind that you've wanted to take some time to chat with me today. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, well I, I always find it interesting when people start a new chapter in their life because not everyone has been working part-time jobs. You know, um, some people you know, do play music full-time. Other people kind of do it half-half. I mean, there's no real specific way um, to do that with, is what I've learned over sort of more or less 90 episodes of doing this podcast. But the thing about when someone starts a new project or like, you know, a, a whole new kind of page is that I wonder if that puts you in a position where, you know, you do completely take a restock of the way you see, you know, I guess dirty word, isn't it? But your career <laughs> or something like that? Well, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's probably the case. For me, at least, my life changed before my music changed. Um, and I, I I think I'm only now catching up or like the, the music I'm putting out is only now reflecting that transformation. Um, in 2016, um, like actually in January, like does the, it was, it, I recorded the last Pains album. And then in April, uh, my daughter was born. And um, every, every facet of my life transformed a lot when that happened. I, I moved from New York to Princeton, New Jersey, which is about 45 miles to the south of New York. It's a small university town in the middle of New Jersey. You can mm. walk to the record shop and the coffee shop and things like that. And it's, it's, but it's, it's very different than when I was in Brooklyn. Um, and Pains was a band that started when I moved to New York with my friends and started a band. And it, it basically ended when I moved away. And it was a 10 year period, um, which was remarkable and far more lucky and fortunate than I could have imagined or could have deserved. Um, and starting the natural, you know, have you, has, is it, is it coming from the same part of your brain as pains? Is it, would it be fair to say that? That's a good question. Um, no, or if it's not the same part of the brain, I just feel the energy, whatever energy animated my songwriting and pains just evaporated. It just, it went away. Like the, the, the need to create songs that sounded like the pains of being pure at heart was just, just yeah. stopped after I made that last record. My daughter was born. I didn't feel any desire to write, write music that way. And it wasn't like a, when you say my brain, it wasn't so much an intellectual decision of now my life is different and I must consider different aspects of my situation when I'm writing music. That's not, that wasn't it at all. It was more just um, 
this inner urge to create, um, not the urge to create itself, but the urge to create the way I had been creating, the way, the sort of ideals, the, the perspectives, the, the feeling in those songs, I think just went away. There is something so New York sounding about Pains of Being Pure at Heart. You know, I'm, I'm, it's a bit like chicken or egg for me. I'm not sure which of those ideas came first, but for as someone living in London, you know, there's something so so New York about Pains. It's it's funny because I guess I guess that's true though. I I I wonder if our lineage is as much about like the Ramones and Blondie as it is about like Glasgow and like the pastels and orange juice. And I I, I think in a lot of ways Glaswegian bands were interpreting American music, maybe even more like West Coast American music and like Teenage Fan Club and things like that. They had a they had a more American not sound exactly, but they they interpreted the sounds of America into something that made sense in their world and. And thus, sort of, we were inspired as much by that as the sounds that inspired them. You know, it's like Teenage Fan Club isn't the Beach Boys, it isn't the West Coast pop art experimental band or whatever, but it's it's something familiar and recognizable to us um, from a part of the world that is like across an ocean and, and has different concerns. It's, it's an interesting thing to be sort of re, re, re-influenced by something that was originally from your own country. And I, you know, Vaseline's makes me think of the Vaseline's. There is a kind of like lightheaded sort of spring in your step kind of. Vaseline's are great. This band Close Lobsters that's from up there too is great. Um, You know, just like the, yeah, the pastels, orange juice, um, Joseph K. There's just like a bunch of things from that very small, dark corner of of your island that seem to just uh, radiate a sort of dirty purity. Um, that a lot of indie pop, a lot of indie pop. I mean, I know we get compared and 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 admire like labels like Sarah and some of the stuff from uh, Sweden, uh, like on um, uh, I forget the name of the label, but you know, there was a lot of indie pop that was very clean, very pristine, and very um, innocent, like purposefully innocent sounding. And I, I think that was that was important music, and it, and it spoke against a sort of prevailing like four guys standing against a brick wall trying to look cool vibe of the era but i i I always appreciated that like the bands from glasgow and and, and manchester too like there was something dirtier about them they sounded like they were not trying to pretend to be children like there was something adult even though sometimes they get dismissed as like twee or something like that i always felt there was some real like uh just like sex and darkness in their music that was sometimes absent from more um other other strains of like in, indie pop music from the 80s and 90s and stuff like that i know i know what you mean those those bands from you know north of england it seemed like a lot of them were growing up fast and and you know reading about a lot of those bands you know a lot of them were on the dole or they were getting jobs at 16 17 and it, it, it i've always i mean that's the reason why i do this podcast is because i find that that struggle of work life and then also that creative balance is such an interesting way way to see things because it must inform the music and the creative side so i mean looking back you know taking it back to the start you you were at college weren't you uh, before pains started was that you know were, were you studying something that you really wanted to to do in life as a career no no I, when i was at university i like did just about everything other than uh, study i I mostly was uh, really interested in um, putting on 
shows, uh, like, like booking bands to play in the ping pong room at my university. There was like, there was this like right. room where there was a ping pong table and you could like, there was a PA in there. So like you could like find bands around that would play for like 75 bucks. And it was, like, there was this band I loved and I booked them all the time called Dear Nora. Um, and they, they've kind of taken on this greater history and influence, but they were just like a local band in Portland and stuff like the this the band the thermals i don't think i booked booked them when they were the the thermals but it was like hutch from the thermals had this other band called urban legends that i I booked a bunch there and he was like you know he was like the guy at the coffee shop that you'd like say hi to and and all these people were around town and you just sort of try to get them to play in the ping pong room so i was i was mostly doing that i liked having a college radio show um just playing records and stuff like that but i wasn't i wasn't exactly like I mean, I wasn't a terrible student, but I wasn't like brilliant or anything. I, I like, uh, I, I majored in ancient religion and like studied oh, wow. and stuff. But I was like, I was kind of. Um, I mean, I don't know if my grandparents are going to hear this, so I have to be careful. But I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like the best student in the class. I was, you know, there was like someone's Greek homework. I was always kind of copying off of, you know, in the corner, being yeah. like, oh, so that's that's how you translate that. Or, uh, well, imagine living in Portland around that time when there are all those incredible bands around i mean that must have been a really exciting time it was i mean it opened you know when i when i was when i was going to school like i'd never been to portland before and it was like also the only school i got into like the one i went to it was called reed um so it wasn't necessarily like i had a ton of choices but i was like well portland i want to go to portland you know elliot smith's out there and um I, i think that 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 was just kind of i think he had just kind of moved to la after i got there but um, there was this, it was a completely eye-opening experience of seeing, um, like in high school, I, I saw a lot of punk shows and church basements and uh, VFWs and h- hardcore shows. But there was this world of DIY music, which was basically the punk shows, but not the punk music. You know, it was like the punk aesthetic, well, not like aesthetic, but the punk political outlook, but not the the sound of punk, which I you know, it's like not like I'm down on it, but it's uh, it was much more my speed to have because I love the community of those like punk shows and stuff and the the attitude of it. But I wasn't that into hardcore. Like I kind of like the or I like the hardcore bands that sounded the least amount like like traditional hardcore. You know, yeah. Or there's or there's this one band Ted Leo used to have this band called Chisel, and they were like they were like really involved in that scene, but they sounded like a sort of like a mod power pop band and they would like show right, up and play yeah. these like amazing like two and a half minute like songs and it would just be like mind-blowing you'd just be like this is so cool but what are they doing at the punk show and like i always kind of like the stuff like that where it was like why why did they let these guys play but i like them <laughs> you know it's like it was like a little bit more like doing their own thing but still aligned with like the values of that scene so i, I always like that so in portland there'd be like the other part of it was you had to be 21 to go to shows and bars. So there was these house shows and like sort of basement shows and stuff that would be happening with uh, like independent like, it was just like bands and you could just go and you could see things and like mates of state uh, played in my friend's living room once. And like, that was cool. It was like mind blowing. And this band from Australia called the Locksmiths. I remember seeing them there and uh, like a lot of stuff just came through and played house shows because for whatever reason, like, like obviously, like something like Pavement or Guided by Voices would play at a bar, and I couldn't go because I wasn't old enough yet. But um, there's tons of great stuff I got to discover because of just what I had access to, because of like not being old enough to go to the other stuff. 
Before that, growing up, we looked after by your grandparents. You grew up with your grandparents. <laughs> well, by my grandparents, I, I lived in uh, with, with them till I was like nine or ten. But I'd always go back in the summer um, to see them because, you know, like my 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 grandparents are young. They were forty six when I was born. So um, my granddad was like my dad, and he'd like you know he'd play. He always take me play baseball and take me to baseball games and play catch after dinner every day and just like always. I mean, he was a young, he wasn't like an uh, old man. So he was like, like my dad, you know, he would just play with me and like make sure I practiced my violin and was just, you know, always, he'd take like, you know, if, if the college basketball team that we liked, like made the NCAA tournament, we'd go on a little road trip and go see a game and, and just like fun stuff like that. And he was just such a huge part of my life and, and my grandma too. Uh, but my mom, and my mom was living with them up till I was about 10. And then she moved out to uh, the Philadelphia area, which was about, you know, it's a, it's a plane ride, about a two-hour plane ride. And so I, I, I grew up in sort of Philadelphia, but I'd go back in the summer to spend the summers with my grandparents. Um, As a teenager, were you quite sort of um, galvanized to sort of get up and go? You know, you, you talk about putting on shows at, at college. You know, did you kind of have that attitude as a teenager that you're like, yeah, I'm just going to make this happen myself. Nah, it it took a little while to get there. Like, you know, when I was an actual teenager, like before I went to university, I I, I was pretty, um, not like shy, but I, I had a, you know, me and my friends had like a pop punk band in the basement and we had like one other friend and he would just like come watch us play in the basement that he was like our fan, you know? So we never even yeah, got, yeah, never yeah. even got the gumption to like give our like four track tape to like the guys that put on the shows at the VFWs and the uh, whatever. Like, you know, it was almost like, even the DIY scene of like being a teenager seemed like out of reach, like a little bit. Like it was yeah. just kind of like, whoa, no, those guys, those guys are famous because they're, like, you know, it's it's a there was still like a sense of um, uh, separation. But when I went to university, I think I just made some friends, and I, I just maybe I was just like a little older and a little bit more confident, and I I learned that I could do that stuff myself, and it wasn't hard. Like if you, you know, if you like talk to a band at a show, and you're like, hey man, do you want to go? P- I want to play a show at the ping pong room at my college and they're like sure and then you like go to the college like resources committee and like you get the 75 dollars of funding you know <laughs> and then, yeah. and then you, yeah. and you buy them like a, a, a 12 pack of beer and they're like real, super happy and you're still kind of like scared of them like i remember still being like they're like one one or two years older still is such a big difference at that age and they're like actually playing shows and that's like a big difference but um that was that was like a really great time of my life because i just got to sort of see how 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 that that world works and how how you mm. treat people and just this sense of sort of camaraderie and, and kindness and mutual support. Like I, I did like a benefit show. Um, this was like before the gossip were like a big like band in your country, but they were like a big deal where I lived. And um, they they were it was like a benefit show. There was like a ballot initiative to like basically outlaw like homosexuals from working in schools. It was like you know like where I lived. Oh, wow. This the state I lived in was a. Uh, they had these like ballot initiative things where like if you get enough signatures, there was a sort of direct democracy component, and like the state was, the state was pretty divided between like a very rural um, conservative section and like a, a progressive um, sort of leftist section in, in Portland, but the rest of the state was extremely um, not that. So there'd be these horrible ballot initiatives that were just like, like not even probably not even constitutional, like but they they had to be organized against so that they wouldn't pass you know it was like right, you, still had right, to do, yeah. you had to still do the effort of like putting on benefit shows and getting the word out and um yeah so like yeah like the, like I, I put on a 
it was like a benefit show to protest like the that ballot initiative and it was like the gossip played and i think corn from sweeter kinney like i don't know if i don't know if corn played but she she was working the ticket booth with me and like we were like cracking jokes back and forth and i was like i thought it was like the coolest thing i was like this is just like a regular yeah. person who's like like in this amazing band you know it's like sweet there wasn't anything yeah. bigger or cooler than sweeter kinney at the time and i was just like and like the gossip are playing and like all these cool people are like doing this and it was just like it was so exhilarating to like get a chance to you know just be part of that world even if you weren't in a, a band or or doing the music just being involved in it in some way and and just getting to see these heroes of yours up up close and saying hi and all yeah. that stuff did that world did that feel kind of 24 7 for you or was that more of like an evening's vocation well i i, I think it eventually became like kind of all consuming like it was just it was the funniest thing you know i was like so obsessed with music and living in portland in that time rent was about 150 dollars a month so i'd be working at like wow um and that was like to rent a house with your friends and you'd have a basement that you could play music in and uh i was working at a call center for like a dollar above minimum wage so it was like 850 an hour which like made you seem like you were like a baller like people were like whoa you're getting 850 an hour and then i was like like so um or maybe it was like seven fifty instead of six fifty, but it was like at, at that time, like it was. Um, so, so I was working at the call center, kind of part time, recharging people's calling cards and prepaid cell phones. Um, and it would be like sort of like weird shifts, like from like three in the morning to like nine in the morning, and then you kind of like get out of work at nine in the morning and like go to the bar and see friends. And it was just like it was like a very strange uh, sense of what the workday was versus when hanging out was. Uh, I, I, I don't know. So like I, I did that for a bit and I uh, was playing in bands in, in Portland. And I don't know, like everyone said we were like uh, not very good. Um, and in retrospect, we probably weren't very good. <laughs> but at the time I was like, we're, we're pretty good. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all right. But then, you know, I kind of, you know, I was like, I got, I got, you know, after a while, I I moved to New York, and it's, at that point, I thought I'd like sort of that was the end of playing music. I was like, well, time to put that chapter of life away and move to New York. And what was waiting in New York for you? What was waiting in New York? Well, not working at a call center at three in the morning. Uh, <laughs> it's like I got a, I got, I first well before I got to New York, I was I got a job at a newspaper in New Jersey, kind of near where I live now, being like a local reporter, like going to school board meetings and reporting, oh, wow. uh, like ambulance contracts and just like stuff where it's like the local township is renewing its contract with this ambulance company but you know it's just like sort of doing local reporting like some woman who was like a breeding like rescuing golden retrievers or something and you know it's like just like the, the one of those newspapers that's like the free newspaper that's not like uh it's just sort of like the local news it was kind of sad because I was, I was pretty bad at it and there was like some really good um there was a good there's a person i worked with who was like really like she went to like northwestern journalism school which was like, a, like one of the most prestigious like journalism schools in the country and i was just like also there and i was like i can write complete sentences and <laughs> i like to our boss likes to talk to me about classic rock sometimes so right. i guess i still have a job um and then i'm and after a few a bit of that i i was able to get a job in New York at this company. Um, it was called InSound. They sold like, it was like sort of before Amazon was ascendant. It was like an indie rock 
like they sold CDs on the internet uh, of indie bands and uh, and vinyl a little bit too when it right. started started off. And so I got sort of hired there. They had sort of like a marketing part of their company too. And like everyone that worked there was all people that, you know, just wanted to be involved in music in, in some way. And like the guy that sit, sat next to me at work was Alex, who um, I was really into this band, the Exploding Hearts. And he was, he was oh, playing, yeah. he was playing cause they were from Portland. Like they were like the cool yeah. band in Portland. I was there and like, he was playing that and the Gories and the Dirt Bombs and a lot of like, sort of like Goner Records, like garage rock kind of stuff and power pop like next to me. And uh, so we, we hit it off. I was like, whoa, you like them too? And he's like, yeah. And he, he played me, he played me that first uh, My Bloody Valentine EP, the one that doesn't like the Sunny Sunday Smile one that doesn't, like when people think of My Bloody Valentine, they don't think about that. I was like, wait, this was the same band that did like, these other albums and he's like yeah so we were like super into that and like bonded over that at work and um you know eventually i invited him over to play music he'd never played the bass before he i guess he played the guitar a bit so he played the bass i played the guitar and i had like a drum machine which was just me uh putting some drum beats on a cd and like a disc man and like pushing play <laughs> and so we play along to that uh and you know sort of how the band started wow where were you getting those drum beats from? <laughs> the, the problem was that they were so bad. I was like playing them myself. So I like, I had a little MIDI controller and it was like every, I, I can't just imagine two fingers going up and down, like, <laughs> like, and then yeah. sometimes you could, like, I could turn up the speed. I could make it faster or slower, but eventually yeah, that yeah. got pretty boring after a few songs. And, um, my buddy, Kurt, uh, who is my roommate, um, I didn't. I didn't have the courage to ask him to be in the band. Like it was Peggy. He's like, who was like, you should ask Kurt. Like, I'm like, Kurt's too cool. He wouldn't want to do it. She's like, come on, just ask him. He plays drums. And then Kurt was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and then he turned me on to this band, Close Lobsters, too. He was like, you're. He's like, yeah, the stuff you're doing reminds me of this band, Close Lobsters. And they were a Glaswegian like band from the '80s that was like, I went and I, went, I listened to them. I was like, man, this that's awesome. So um, it was just sort of the people in my life or my apartment that like played instruments and we, we got together and we started a band. Um, and only then this, and also, yeah, the reason we got to go on tour was um, I, I didn't like steal. Like we had lost, I don't know if I stole them, but like, so we had this like background at work of like, like the work I was doing, like it was running like a lot of street teams, like for companies that like, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like, it was like street team stuff. And we had all these prepaid calling cards. Once again, um, like my life like revolves around prepaid calling cards, but we had all these, and I, for whatever reason, I just sort of, um, I don't know if like the company really missed them, but I, I took a bunch and sold them on eBay. And, uh, that's how we got the money to go to England the first time and do this, like just sort of this, uh, a DIY tour with our friends, the Manhattan Love Suicides. They booked, they booked us a bunch of shows like in Leeds and Stoke. And I think there was one in London and there was maybe one in Sheffield. And uh, I don't know if we got all the way up to Glasgow that first trip, but oh, there was one in Manchester too. And um, that is so funny. So, so, so we, so we just, like, went around with them and like, we couldn't take instruments into the country, obviously, because it was like before, like, you know, we even knew how to get like work permit, you know, we just sort of like bought plane tickets and showed up and borrowed some stuff. And, um, played some played some shows and, and that if that hadn't happened like you know it got that really helped helped us a lot we didn't have an album out or anything like that it was just like that really 
it was weird. We like, showed up. It was like we were, it felt like we were like the Beatles with Andy Pop Beatles. You know, it was like shows were like sold out. Like we like we'd been playing to like eight friends in New York. Like we, you know, what we were used to was just like no one. Um, it's like playing to our friends at like the cake shop or whatever. And then all of a sudden we were in, we're in England and we're like, on tour. And it was like, you know, like that idea of like being on tour. I'd never been in a band that had gotten to even go on tour. And here we were in a different country and like just meeting different people and having a great time and um, just partying. And like that was when we were up in Leeds and we were talking about the balance between work and like we're in Leeds and like we're hanging out with some bands there. Like our friends, the Manhattan Love Suicides were there. And I don't, I don't know if Darren ever had a job. But like one of the guys there was like a point of pride that they never had a job. Like they, they just literally like were on the dole and they played music. And it was like, that was like a, like that was a cool thing to be. And I was like a way of like resisting, resisting like, like mainstream culture. It was like a way of being subversive. And, um and like, and we're, we were coming from New York where we're just like, we have to work like crazy jobs all the time just to like, even, have like a flat with ants falling out of the ceiling you know it's like it was it was just kind of like this other perspective and but it was it was cool like they were cool kids and they were like they were making music for this uh just like the purity of it just like doing it because that's what they did and um and there that was a that was a kind of like a different attitude um from what we had experienced uh in the states where you kind of just had to there was a necessity to um just be able to exist that you had to like not that you had to do something that you probably didn't want to do when i was a kid when i used to go to friends houses and go to their bedrooms i always used to get home and then change my bedroom do you know what i mean a little bit because it's like i was inspired by what my friend's bedroom looked like and i often found that you know going on tour i'd do the same thing you know i'd come back from that tour and be like oh this is what i'm gonna do slightly differently you know this is what you know you, you kind of you learn about how other people do it and you naturally get inspired by it did that happen to you on on that tour? Well, I think a lot of it was eye opening for sure. Like this band, the Manhattan Love Suicides, like they weren't they weren't like a big deal, I guess, um, in in the UK. I, I don't know, but they we, we heard them in New York, and we just thought what they were doing was so cool and so inspiring. It was like this this idea of like the Jesus and Mary chain, but like they had um, it was somehow a little bit sweeter and a little also kind of had bits of like beat happening. They covered beat happening. It was just like this kind of like, it was like a reminder that the abrasive sound of something like Jesus and Mary chain had a place in like indie pop. Like it was like, that was, that was part of indie pop's history. And like an indie pop had kind of sanitized itself in a lot of ways to be cutesy Mm -hmm. and pristine. But there was this part of indie pop that didn't have to be like that. And that gave us a huge sense of possibility with, like how we went about things like we could be noisy we could have just like fuzz pedals and like um also like write songs that were like indie pop and like rooted in that community that didn't have to be like 60s revivalist like mod haircuts and like singing about holding hands and riding bicycles and stuff like that you know it was like there's there's a reason why that stuff was important and cool to do and i understand it was like it was definitely rooted against like the the super cutesy version of indie pop was a way of resisting like this the hyper male rockist kind of like real indie music is about it was like resisting grunge it was resisting like the, the hyper seriousness of like some some of the stuff that was happening in the eighties like it was all great like I, I I love a lot of those bands too I'm like but I kind of like but hearing the Manhattan Love Suicides 
Um, and also that those early My Bloody Valentine EPs and, and of course the Pastels who were always kind of like ramshackle and, and raw. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this other band called Comet Gain that was kind of happening in the 2000s that was like super, super cool uh, to us. That was also very like blunt and noisy and abrasive. Um, all that stuff like, kind of opened our eyes up to allow us to do what we wanted to do. It kind of gave us a license to, you know, make the kind of music we wanted to make and still call it indie pop and not feel like it was wrong that we didn't sound like the field mice or something like that. You know, New York City seems to have, it's kind of tough and and raw. Was it like that at the time? And (laughs) was that kind of reflected in your personality or or your music yeah i mean it's like there's only i mean you know i could i could exist in a tough and raw place forever but i um i don't think anyone would confuse me as someone that would like win a lot of fights you know (laughs) i'm not like i'm not like i don't don't know how to say it like i just uh like if you met me you'd be like oh that guy's not gonna like but i i never i never want to present myself as like oh he's a tough guy from new york (laughs) like he's lou reed or whatever i mean lou reed wasn't even lou reed you know but it's like there's there's a I don't know. I don't think anyone would like ever like uh, accuse me of like representing like the, the 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 tough underbelly of like New York City. Like I'm not I'm not Biggie. You know, it's like it's like there's like, um, but you could be a product of that. I mean, I often think that you know there are times where I lived in part of parts of London that were a bit grimy, and it it would make me kind of pushes you in a certain direction. Yeah, man. It's like I'm definitely grody and gross or whatever, but like I don't mind that. But it's like so weird. Like I was I was always surprised. I did never got like jumped in new york because i had friends who did and I was, i'd be like walking down the street with like rainbow shoes on or like some like shiny gold jet you know i could dress like a complete like you know like it, it wasn't like i was trying to like blend in or whatever you know it's kind of like yeah, yeah. i kind of looked like an easy target probably but for whatever reason i don't know i'm, I'm kind of not like i'm not like big but i'm like a bigger person so like maybe people just didn't bother with it but um yeah no but yeah being up in weeds it was it was pretty it was pretty, I mean, it was almost like slightly Soviet, you know, where we were was sort of like these rows and rows of houses that were like connected houses that were all built identically in this red brick. And it was just like, and all the streets and all the streets sort of had the same name, but then had like, had like a different like circle or drive or lane or something at the end. It was, it was very uniform and, uh, but like, it was fun. You know, it was like, we definitely, definitely like partied pretty hard up there and it was I don't know how to say it it was kind of like it was probably good for us to to not um ever feel like we were some like 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 Payne's got definitely got to do some like fancy big time things but like uh we were I think at our best when we were kind of playing uh smaller like places and um just having more of a a personal connection and going out and having fun and, and like that that era of the band was really um awesome and I, I think everyone was really happy and um just that, having that first time like i mean i i never like tr- i mean i i briefly lived in germany with my mom when i was a little kid she was like in grad school over there and when i was like five like i'd never gone outside of the, the states except to canada um and i just being abroad for that first time and and just being in a new place and having adventures with your friends and like getting we didn't like get kidnapped but like uh like we we got lost this is before there was gps i think or we didn't have phones or anything so we needed directions and these like girls gave us directions but they were like purposefully like wrong like like maliciously wrong 
<laughs> and we were just like, we're like, it was like, it was clear they were like fucking with us, but we didn't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it was like, it was like all sorts of shit like that. We're like, you're like in the middle of like some like country road at like two in the morning in like the Midlands. And you're just like, you don't have like a phone. You don't have like a map. You're just like, where the hell, where the hell are we? What are we doing? But it was, it was all good fun. And uh, I, I think the kind of stuff that so few bands ever get to experience. And, um, and now of course, like, you know, they're just, you know, like young bands coming up. It's like, I just hope there is a world of, of touring and adventure and a sense of being lost mm. that they can, mm. that they can know because like I, I, tech between technology and then obviously like the virus going around, it's just, I'm not sure if there will be like, we would, we would, you'd read bands. Like it wasn't as bad as like, you'd like read about like our, our band could be your life or get in the van. Like, like when black flag were first touring, like there was still like a circuit of like indie promoters and stuff that we were like talking to and we weren't getting stiffed. Like, like we would, you know, we'd get our 50 bucks at the end of the night, you know, but um, it was, it was still like a sense of adventure and possibility that I hope is, is there for uh, the generation of artists that are coming up. I do feel like there, it's always going to evolve. You know, I feel like I've had, I had my time in my early twenties doing things like that. You're getting lost, you know, and having that excitement, that just pure adventure. Uh, hopefully it's always like an evolving thing, you know, depending on where you live and how old you are. Yeah, no, it's, it's just like, you're like you're, it's just like such a crazy, crazy time. Like we were playing in like Nottingham and like one of the guys, uh, bless his heart, is guy, this guy Dom, who uh, does, he does like a, a nice blog now called uh, For the Rabbits. And he's always been like super oh, yeah, supportive, yeah. but he was like writing about us like we were like the second coming of Nirvana, you know, it was like, I know like, I know like British press is kind of hyperbolic, yeah. but like we had literally gone from like, we were literally still working like our nine to five jobs, like, like going back to work the next day and like no one giving a shit about the fact that we were in a band or like, or like playing at the cake shop to like our eight friends and like, like first of three, like, you know, and no one giving a shit or like, it was just, and then all of a sudden to have this, uh, that sense of bro, that whirlwind of possibility was just like completely, uh, bizarre and, and cool. So I'm, I'm just glad that my time on earth got to experience that a little bit, you know, did that change the way, you know, you were kind of organizing yourself? Did that make you kind of a bit more ambitious? Dare I say it? Yeah, man. Like, well, it's, it's so strange, you know, it's like there was a couple other bands happening in New York that we were like jealous of. And, you know, it, it's a really unhealthy thing to compare yourself to other people, but I think this was pretty healthy. It was more like a positive thing. There was this band called Crystal Stilts who was, uh, on Slumberland Records, which ultimately put out our record too, but they had put out their record mm. on Slumberland first, and they were like the coolest man. Like they were like the Velvet Underground. Like if imagine like going into the coolest party in New York City, they would be like the band playing. It was just this really cool psyche, um, psyche sound that I, I can't even describe. The singer was this tall dude that looked like a really tall Bob Dylan. You know, like the guitarist looked like he was John Cale, a young John Cale, you know, they were, and they were just the Frankie Rose was the drummer then. And she played drums standing up and she went on to, you know, being Vivian girls and do her own music. And she was in Dum Dum Girls for a bit. Like cool. she's like, she was like a sort of iconic figure in the New York music scene then and still. Um, and they were just like the coolest band. And like when they put their record out, they got to go on tour, like, like a real tour and like go to Italy and like, and just like, you they'd come back and you like hear stories about it. And it, that was super inspiring. And then there was this other band called Pants Yell who were from Boston and they were just like indie pop band, like 
and they got to play a Swedish festival. Like they had gone and played this festival called Emma Boda in Sweden. Um, and they'd come back and, and just like the idea of knowing people that had gone to Sweden to play music or like gone on tour to Europe and like played in like these cool clubs in Northern Italy and had all these stories. And it was, it was, that was really inspiring to us. And it, it made us want to do that too. You know, it was, um, we didn't want to sound like them or, or it wasn't so much like that. It was just like having those experiences. Like we wanted to, to feel that, that those same things and get to do that too. And I, I, I mean, I don't know, like, I know it's not, now it's not like a bad thing to say you're like ambitious. Like there's like, it goes back and forth where bands are supposed to say they're terrible or bands are supposed to talk about themselves. Like they're great. But like, for me, like I really, I was so inspired by seeing those bands get to go do real things and be on tour and, and exist mm. as like actual bands that it was just mm. incredibly inspiring to me and, and made, made me want to do that with our band too. And, um, and, and was there a narrative or a vibe about you know those kinds of bands i mean was there a scene where you know w- would, would you say it was a scene or sure. was it- i mean we, we shared a practice space with crystal stilts and it was like they were i mean i don't know if they were like our buddies like we play shows together but they all seemed a little too cool or like maybe like now like they weren't like too cool they were nice they were nice people but i was always a little yeah. afraid to like um you know be like Hey guys, what's up, man? Yeah, <laughs> hey, you yeah, want, yeah, want to get yeah. some beers, man? <laughs> hey, they. Yeah, like, yeah. Like they were like they were actually like, cool people, you know. And oh, like, the guy that plays in the natural, uh, the keyboards on this album, uh, Kyle Forrester, he was in Crystal Stills. He played with them, so Amazing. so they had they had that cool organ sound, and like he was he. I'm like Kyle, and he's he's like goofy like me. He's like um, he's like very loquacious um as well. So he's like, he was an easy guy to talk to. So if I was ever hanging out with him, I'd I'd be talking to Kyle mostly because he was like, hey, Kip, what's up, man? How's it going? Um, so was there a scene? There's Vivian girls, but I, I feel like that scene got defined externally and we became friends with some of those people because of how almost like a false sense of a scene from abroad. Like in the UK, they were like obsessed with the Vivian girls first. And yeah, like we played yeah. some shows with them over there and people were just like chanting Brooklyn. It was like it was like everyone was dressed like everyone was dressed like they were living in Brooklyn and like chanting the word Brooklyn at the stage. I I, I my hat goes off to you. Like like the UK really still gets excited about music in ways that are like really touching. Like the fact that there's a bunch of people dressed like they were living in Bushwick um in two thousand and six and screaming Brooklyn, Brooklyn at the stage while the while the Vivian girls played, like they were really fucking cool too, but we weren't like, like back home, we didn't like hang out with them, but we would be around them when we were like abroad or like playing shows together. And we, and there was this little tour we did where we, I don't know how to say it. Like it was right after the Primavera Fest in, in Spain, which was 2009. And that was sort of like, they were really blowing up and things were starting to happen for us a bit. And we went on this tour together in Europe, just a few shows. And um, I don't know, like, we thought they were the coolest band in the world and like super punk rock and they didn't give a fuck about anything and they were, didn't care what people thought. And they just had this mystique about them, but then just getting, mm. being able to like get drunk with them and talk with them. Like they were like that way towards us. Like, you know, I don't know how to say it. They're like, no, we think you, aren't you, you guys are like the strokes. You guys are like, so we're like, like, no, we're not. We're like fucking nerds that like, you know, I don't know, like care about like stupid records that no one liked the first time around. You know, it's like, they, they, we, I don't know how to say it in a nice way, but like we were both able to talk about our insecurities 
to each other, like the things we were worried about. And like, I just got a totally different sense of them as people. And, um, and I, 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 it made me admire them all the more. I, I thought of that era, like there were certain bands that were just special and always will remain special. And I, I really think Vivian girls were a special, um, band. And I think crystal stilts were too. And I think drums as well, like drums were sort of like, um, not like frenemies, but they were sort of like the, uh, another band that was sort of like in our world that was like both similar and different. And I, I think they were awesome too. And, um, Connor from the drums played in pains for a little while. He, he dated Peggy still does. And, uh, we, we played shows with them and I was just, they were so good as a live band and they had such a distinct perspective on their records where they, it just sounded like it didn't sound like other records. And it had this, mm-hmm. a lot is made out of like low fire, high fire, mid fire, whatever, but like they just had a real, there's the sound of their music had a really distinct point of view. And I think it made it really special. And, um, Maybe I didn't even like when it they first started out. I didn't totally appreciate it, but as time goes on, it just it makes me think they were like really cool more and more. Like, and there's still songs of theirs I go back to. And same with Vivian Girl, same with Crystal Stokes. All those bands were like really um, exemplary of a certain time of New York music. And I'm just happy Payne's got to be a part of that too. I got, well, not fired. I got laid off. There was a big financial crash in 2008. I lost my job. Um, probably des- probably deservedly because, like, most of the things I was doing at work was just, like, um, designing seven-inch sleeves or whatever. You know, I was, like, definitely not. I was, like, using my time at the office not to do the things I was supposed to be doing. So everyone was nice about it. But they were, like, hey, um, the economy is tanking. You got to go. Um, but I, but it was, like, such a, a I was bummed out at the time because I was like, what am I going to do? Um, but it's weird. Like I lost my job, I think in December of 2008. And then the pains record came out. Actually, no, I, we went on tour with the wedding present uh, in 2008 and I came back and then I got cool. lost my job, but there was like, I could get a little unemployment for like a month or two. And then pains record came out and all of a sudden it was like, there's all this opportunity to, um, tour like in a full-time way like a full-on tour like the the record was well received and there's all these things happening so it was like I and I lost my job which was like a bummer but then I had to I got the chance to work not like work but I got a chance to do the band like full-on like all the time and I not only got a chance to do that all the time but I also got a chance to like write music so like I wrote the Payne's second record Belong um really before kind of in that time even before the first one kind of came out uh so that the first one came out in in february so you lost the job in you know december yeah i mean i guess i had written some stuff and like sort of before that too but i was i remember distinctly being like maybe we shouldn't release this record we should release the next record instead or, or i was like i was like really excited about the songs i was writing on belong and i was you get to sometimes the point where you've like lived with certain songs for a long time so like the songs on the first record i was like maybe these aren't good enough um Maybe we should just scrap it and try a new record. But, it, you know, I didn't do that. I'm glad. Um, That's interesting because uh, Belong came out in 2011. And two years is quite a long time. Well, but we recorded it in the summer of 2010. So from 2009 to basically the summer of 2010, like Payne's just 
toured like a lot, like like in the United States, in in Europe, in Japan. Um, we even got to go to Australia on and, and for that album, and it was just like a fairly full on year. And by 2010, we had some shows that some we had shows that summer too, more at festivals, and then we recorded the record in summer of 2010. And um, I guess yeah, I guess for whatever reason, it didn't get released till the spring of 2011. So, I mean, it was, I, I was doing music like pretty much nonstop from when the first Pains record came out. And then when Belong came out, we were doing it nonstop too until about uh, 2011. We toured a bunch, we, 2012 too. And then we recorded, uh, and then there was like some, you know, like issues. And then like the third album, um, there was some lineup changes and stuff like that. But those first two records were almost a nonstop like whirlwind of just, you know, there was like, some, I remember like there was, I remember like seeing our press kit and I guess I'd made at some, at some point someone was like, can you approve this? And I was like, I had said at some point, like days off are no fun. You know, it's like, I was just like really into just doing as much as possible as quickly as possible. And without yeah. um, any sense of like, uh, let's take a day off, like, right, and in, right. or whatever. And, um, and I, maybe that was like deleterious to like the, um, mental well-being of the group and maybe it wasn't the right decision but i i i had this it was like an, an, an i'm an annoying person to be in a band with or at least I, I think i was then because i had a sense of how unlikely all the things that were happening were were and i wanted to like never i didn't want them to stop you know it's like i'd been in bands for like a long time of my life that literally played to like the six people that you're friends with and the basement of someone's house and then to have all this stuff happen with pains i was just really um maybe annoying like just like very insistent that we appreciate it <laughs> like i was like, I was like yeah. someone's like granddad like we have to appreciate these opportunities it doesn't didn't happen for the bands we're ripping off you know it's like the um like you know the like the pastels are like all these like the wake or whatever like another glaswegian band the wake like all these really cool artists never got to go on like a full-on tour like or they put out a record and they maybe play a couple shows like in England or Scotland or, or whatever, maybe go over to like a couple shows in like France. But like the things that were happening for us were just on this other level and so unlikely. And I felt like, not like guilty, but they, I also didn't feel like we deserved them because I was just like, well, the things we admire never got to do this. So why, why are we getting these opportunities when like so many artists that inspired us to make the sound didn't get to do it. Right. And I also, and I just didn't feel like we were like good enough to be worthy of that. Cause like, the things that I held in like the highest esteem didn't get to experience that. So I think I was a little bit um, in that way, like annoying to be around because I felt like it was kind of a house of cards and that we had to sort of just uh, do everything we could as fast as possible before someone discovered that we were frauds. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I would certainly would do exactly the same thing. And and in my own way, you know, I, I have in the band that I, that I was in, you know, just did everything because I just couldn't stop. And, you know, speaking about talking of 101 part-time jobs, I mean, he talks about approving a, a press release. I mean, those things are kind of part-time jobs, right? I mean, these are all things that you, I mean, did you hit the ground running with that? Were you able to take it seriously as well as being enthusiastic? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a Jewish kid with nice grandparents. Like I wasn't like giving the middle finger to like people that I met for the most part. Like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't in the Jesus and Mary chain, you know, it's like, uh, uh, my, my general outlook is like, I don't know how to say it. It's like my, my grandma has Google alerts. 
So like anything I said would like get back to her. So I, I didn't, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to say this like in like the best way, but it was like, there was a time when like we got offered a show in Israel and we turned it down, but I didn't, I tried not to like make a big deal about it. Like we just canceled it and we're like, we don't, we don't want to play here yeah. because like a lot yeah. of people from like Israel wrote to us and like explained to us the, like the situation and, and how like playing a show there like normalizes a sort of status quo that is like deeply unjust. So we wanted to do that, but I didn't want to like, we did, I mean, we wanted to like not play and like support the, the, like a peaceful boycott to bring about like a, a more just living situation for um, the Palestinian people there. But like my, my, but like from an older generation, like, like my, my grandma like saw it as like being opposed to like, the policies of the Israeli government was in some way anti-Semitic, but it's like, it, it isn't, but it's also hard to explain that to a different generation who grew up like with a different frame. Like she lived through world war two. Like she remembers talking to her mom, like saying, can't I just talk to Hitler and ask him to, that we're nice people. Like she had like, she had memories like this of like actual. So to her, it was like hard for her to understand that the reason we were deciding not to play in this place um, was, was rooted in actual, actually, good, good, good things. Like it wasn't about yeah, um, yeah. like being mean to people. It was about like trying to help people like have the same quality of life and the same opportunities and the same um, human dignity. Um, but so I, it was like one of those things where it's like, I always felt like I had to kind of be, you know, I, I couldn't, and maybe for a good way, it's like, I, I, there's nothing worse than like super self-righteous bands talking about what great people they are and like what great causes they support and all that stuff too. Like, you know, you don't want to always like, um, toot your own horn in that way but like there was always a sense of however whatever i said and whatever i did um would get back to my grandparents at some point and like i love my grandparents and i don't want them to think i'm like a, <laughs> a terrible grandson so i kind of had to find a way of expressing myself without i know this sounds so silly but it's like I, I, some some bands i'd see were like very open with like tales of like drug use and like all sorts, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I was like, I also like, tried to keep it very sanitized. Like what I, yeah, what I, yeah. what I was able to um, share with um, the, the world. And um, so, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what the point of that was. I'm just saying like when your grandma has Google alerts, you can't tell people to fuck off all the time. <laughs> like, cause like you'll get like a phone call from your grandma where it's like, I saw yeah. you, even we had a song called this love is fucking right. And even that was like, like she eventually acquiesced to that one. I was like, well, "Grandma, it's funny. It's like it's it's uh, it's a sweet song. It's not it's not like fuck love. It's I wouldn't even say it to her, but you know, I was, I was like, "Grandma, it's no, it's it's funny. It's supposed to be funny." And like she, she, she did you kind of have to give a full explanation? I had to give a full song, explanation, a little bit, a little bit of that. But she's like, she's really support. I mean, she has like, I have to find a way. This new record isn't on CD because, uh, but I, I need to find a way to get a CD to her, like make a CD so that she can play it. But um, but she's like incredibly supportive. She would like, she's just, she'd always like play like pain CDs in her car when she was driving around. And she's eighty seven now. And um, uh, but uh, yeah, she's she's just in, she's exceptionally supportive and excited about me playing music. And in fact, like when she came to see me, she always complained it was too loud. Like she'd come and see a show, like even in her eighties, like she'd come to a pain show, and like we try to find like places for them to sit, you know, cause like a crowded bar or whatever isn't always great for grandparents. But, um, she would come and she, she told me, she's like, I just have, I, I would just love to see you just play your own songs on stage. Uh, this is great, but just play them, just sing them so I can hear the words. And 
play them just with you and your guitar and sing them. And in, in, in a strange way, that's kind of what is happening now for me. Like I, yeah. I, I, I will tour with a, a band if that's possible, but there's also a version of this new music that I think makes sense. And it's just as powerful and just as meaningful. If I just play it by myself on stage, just me and the guitar without all any of the trappings and the, 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 the structures of, of what a, what a band is supposed to be just like literally just a guitar and a microphone. And that's enough for these songs. And in a lot, in a lot of ways, like I, I mean, it's not the only reason, but like, I think my grandma's telling me that like uh, at least kind of made me stop and think about my own music and like what was really necessary and what was really at the core of what I was doing. Um, so, yeah. When you shared that first single, I thought, Oh, well, you know, it sounds like it's written on acoustic guitar, definitely. But it just feels so righteous. <laughs> that one did feel pretty righteous the first time I played out of it. I was like down in the bass when I was like, whoa, this sounds cool. I'm just going to do this like part a few times and just like sing it. And, um, you know. And we're talking about why don't you come out why anymore. Why don't you come out anymore? Um, that's right. People are listening. It's so funny. I, I'll just, I think we're just chatting. And then I remember that like people are actually going to hear what I'm good, saying. That's my job. About, yeah, you no, know, it, it's, it's, it's a really good thing. Um, I, well, like with the natural, I, I did kind of want to do it not on acoustic, not saying like, I know what you mean by acoustic guitar, like playing a guitar and singing, but I, I wanted to keep it electric because I thought there's nothing more boring than seeing a middle-aged man on stage with an acoustic guitar and uh, <laughs> a plaid shirt, you know, like singing yeah, earnest yeah. songs about like the tra- the changes in his life and now I'm a dad and I'm going to write Butterfly. It's like, it's like, it's, 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 it's like, there's like so many kind of like tropes that you can fall into pretty quickly if you're just like. Uh, that guy but so I wanted to keep it with an electric guitar um also because Billy Bragg is cool and he you know it's like you watch those concerts and I mean I I know I don't know how he's perceived in the UK like I asked a friend and people were like not super I don't know he was like kind of seen as like an oddity or sort of like a here like he is like at least among like me and like my 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 wife and her best friend and high school and like the one cool punk kid I remember like the one cool punk kid in my high school um was like really into that too and like the idea of just like an electric guitar and a voice and like that that is like a powerful thing um and uh and his tone of guitar you know it that is you know similar to why don't you come out anymore uh you know it's like a hollow body sound guitar i know you don't necessarily play a hollow body <laughs> I'm sorry, I, didn't, I, didn't mean to, I don't i don't mean to contradict you when you say nice things i'm just like i yeah <laughs> it's like i actually wrote it on an electric guitar but i, it's like, I didn't i don't, don't mean to be a stickler about any of that no, but it's, it's that billy it's that billy bragg sound though you know i was i, I was you know the fun it's so it's, it's so yeah it's it's, it's billy bragg i mean it's, it's also like like i guess as like I think when my daughter was born, I was spending a lot of time at home and like the kind of music I was listening to was um, different. And it was actually my mom. I was like writing some music and she was like, this reminds me kind of of uh, Richard Thompson. And I was like, who? And she's like, dude. Well, she didn't say dude, but she said, <laughs> she said, I think you would really like his music and uh, you should listen to some. And so I started listening to some Richard Thompson records and I was just blown away. I was just absolutely blown away. And then I, I, I went back and listened to Fairport Convention, which I don't know what it is like that. Maybe it's because the band was called Fairport Convention and it sounds like a real hippy dippy flower power kind of thing. And I knew they were kind of the word folk was associated with them. I didn't understand what their music actually sounded like. 
And I was so yeah. wrong. Like I was astonished when I listened to those Fairport convention records, how inventive and playful and cool and like just um that's funny my parents love fairport convention and i've i mean i i don't think i'm not sure about my brother or sister but i've never listened to them and they're one of like the three or four bands that my parents have always talked about okay so so fairport convention richard thompson like that stuff meant a lot to me and that was sort of my mom telling me that like the stuff i was writing reminded her of that which is like really cool um and uh and then and then Dylan as well, like the especially like the live Dylan records, like the that one that's like says it's from the Royal Albert Music Hall, but it's really from Manchester. Like I listened to that a lot, and and when I was younger, I I just didn't approach Dylan because I, you know, he has like the worst fan club. I think that's what it is. It's like he is insulated from like the truth is insulated by a bunch of old guys with beards telling you like like treating him like a god. Like it's like it's it's if you. If you listen to the people talk about Dylan, you will get annoyed by Dylan. But if you like actually go back <laughs> and listen to records, you'll just be like, this guy was funny and he was having a good time and he was clever. And it was like, it wasn't as serious as his sort of biographers. I mean, I'm, I'm sure like, it, it is serious. Like, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't take himself seriously too, but like those records are playful and there's like just a joy of language and, and, and all of these things that I never really – um, heard the right way before. And I, I, I took it too seriously or I just didn't want to like engage with it because I thought you had to be like like this expert to even appro- approach the great man and his, his sacred texts and all this bullshit. And I'm just like, but you like, listen to it and it's like, I'm a poet. I know it. I hope I don't <laughs> blow it. <laughs> and it's like, that shit is funny. And it's like, and so you like go back and like go listen to the, and you just, there's this like, this sense of liberation of language where you can actually just say whatever the fuck you want and you can say it however yeah, you want to say yeah. it and you can, and you can make sounds, you, you can enjoy the sound of words and you can just express yourself in, in certain ways. And I found that so comforting. And, and I always felt mm-hmm. like with pains, the kind of stuff I, I wanted to write or was trying to write just was too, it didn't fit the music quite right or as, especially with the third and fourth albums i was trying to express some different kinds of things and people mm. between not wanting to hear it or like it just didn't people wanted nostalgic songs about teenage feelings and i just didn't have those anymore or i didn't that wasn't what i was about and i was trying to express kind of strange not like stranger things but maybe things with a little more nuance about my life and um yeah stuff that and and it just didn't fit the I don't want to say genre, but it just seemed it's there was something about the form of the music that didn't allow for um the ambiguities or the different patterns of of words. Like everything was structured in this sort of verse chorus, verse chorus, um mm-hmm. yeah, on a, yeah. on a on a metronome drum beat kind of thing. And I just and I was what I was trying to do with this record was just uh or what I did was just the opposite of that. I didn't we didn't have like a metronome in the studio, like having the, we didn't track the drums and then the bass and the guitar. We did it all together. And um, we did even some of the, vo- we did some of the vocals even live, like too, just to, just to kind of embrace the, not imperfections, but the, the human moment of creation. And like, uh, just, mm-hmm. just get, mm-hmm. get the song out as the song and not worry about the perfect version of the song. And I think, and, and I think Pains was always, 
striving to be something better than it was, which I think is a cool thing. Like when you're like trying to make a kind of, you're trying to do something that you can't do, but like you do something else as a result. Like mm-hmm. I think that kind of like mm-hmm. aiming for something you can't do, like um, you're going to come up, it's sort of like a, I always call it um, like heroic amateurism, like sort of like this idea of trying to do like the yeah. big thing, but you don't really know how the big thing was done right. Or like, so you're kind of doing it in your own way. And, um, and I think that was like a cool, a cool vibe. And maybe that's what kind of distinguished pains from some of the bands that were more like, we just want to make like lo-fi, lo-fi noise rock or something. Like we were always trying to be like a little bit like better than we really were. <laughs> I don't know. I right. was sort of like right. kind of right. going for an ideal that we couldn't achieve. Like is it something the striving for it. It was cool. But um, I'm reading a great book right now by Damon from Galaxy 500 called Ways of Hearing. In fact, it's a uh, it's a transcript from the podcast he did. Damon. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, we did a Gal- Galaxy 500. And I don't mean to interrupt your story. Like, go on with it. But I did, no, not at all. There was this, this series of like Galaxy 500 covers that were people were doing this summer and I did one. And I was and there was like a website where they were all hosted. And there was like something where it was like I sent like the wrong version of the video and so I had to write to the guy at the website and be like, Hey man, uh, I, I sent this version in, but it was like the messed up. So please use this one instead. I'm sorry. And the guy wrote back and it was like Damon from Galaxy 500 was the person that was like manning the the website. I was like, it's, it's you. <laughs> What's up? And I, and one of my mom's best friends, she was an English professor. And like um, one of her colleagues, this guy, Michael Berthold, who um, was taught with her uh, and used to be a high school English teacher was Damon's high school English teacher. And he was like, Mr. Wow. Berthold was like the best. He encouraged me and like all these, it was like this, like we had this like Amazing. total bond over his high school English teacher who I also knew somehow through my mom. And um, <laughs> it was this. So, so I was like, go on and tell me about ways of hearing. That's it. I'm just saying what you said about not having a metronome because the first chapter, spoiler alert, basically made me think, fuck, why did I, why did I use a click track? Why did I use a metronome on so many things that I've done? You know, I wish I hadn't because it takes away from that moment. And, you know, it's, I, I guess it's pretty easy to cross the line into some kind of hippy dippy stuff when talking about this, but you know, this conversation we're having now, the, the kind of outside sounds you hear on the street where everyone listening to this is hearing behind this, you know, these are all things that are like a real life. I feel like or at least this first chapter very quickly convinced me that when you've got a metronome or a click track, it kind of somewhat takes away or at least compromises the real life element of it. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. And I, I have I owe a huge, a huge debt of gratitude to um my buddy Andy Savers, who um he 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 produced the last two pains records, but he also gave me he's the one that was like with this new project. Um he really gave me the courage to do it this the way we did it. And I remember like the first EP I did, it was just like guitar and voice um, with him. Mm. And it was like after a Payne's tour. And he's like, I was like, I got some new songs. He's like, well, come by the studio tomorrow. But like, you know, I, my flight was the next day. So I had a free day. Um, and we'll track them together or something. And I'm like, well, don't we need to like get someone to play drums on it maybe? Or like we should yeah. do like have to like get the right guitar tone or he's like, no, he, like, I showed up. There was literally like a guitar an amp and a microphone. And he's like, just play and sing at the same time. And I was like, well, don't we need to like isolate the vocal? You know, there's all these things I'd been yeah, so used yeah. to being told. Not like it was my, it wasn't my preferred way of working. I just didn't know any better. Just like when you go into studios, like people tell you the right way to do things like the, 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 and, and I got to work with some amazing people and like they 
made way cooler records than mine, but they had like a very specific way of like how a band is recorded where you like record the drums and you record the yeah. bass and then yeah. you add the guitars, then you do the vocals and then you like redo the vocals and you add and all that stuff. And like, it was the complete opposite of that experience working with Andy and, uh, and he actually, um, he actually just did that Black Country New Road record too. Oh, so it's, it's the year of the it's, it's the year of the Andy. So it's like, yeah. So it's like he's he's uh he's like I'm glad he's finally getting some recognition because he was just just really because he's my friend. Like I just trusted him implicitly, and he was just yeah. like just play your song, sing them. That's all you need to do. Yeah. And and that was all we needed to do. And then for this record, he was the one that was just like, we're going to do the drums and the bass and the guitar and maybe even the vocals at the same time. And let's just see how it goes. And a lot of that work, the way we did it was because I had no time. Like I, I didn't have like a week to book into the studio. You know, I was like, I was like, uh, my, my mother-in-law is in town this weekend and she can help look after the kids while um, I go up to New York and we have like one day in the studio where we can play the drums. So like, let's try to do as much as we can and as fast as we can. So it was like a lot of the, it wasn't like this, like Ouija, I don't know how to say it. It wasn't like this grand design of how to do things either. Like sometimes it's just like the necessity of like the moment you just try to make the record as best you can with like the, the time you got and, and the people around you. So um, I, I really, I'm really grateful to Andy so much for um, just kind of having that insight that the things that made my songs, my songs weren't necessarily like I wasn't trying to be the, like in the paint, it was always like, oh, we got to be as good as the killers, you know, or, or something like that, where it was like, I know it sounds silly, but there was always this ideal of something that was like the the proper way of doing things. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and for this, there was none of that, which was really liberating and cool. Has the natural kind of become, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's what you do now. I mean, has it kind of become another you know i hesitate to use the word job just for the sake of you know this podcast but you know has it become your your full-time thing now again i mean obviously you know full-time is completely subjective and it is what you you make it to be but do you know what i mean does it is it does it feel like you know something you wake up and you you have a plan for and you go to bed with something in mind about it most of my days are consumed by waking up and making sure that like my daughter finds the pair of socks that feel good on her feet. You know, there's like, you try one pair of socks and she, that she liked yesterday. And then today they don't feel good. So we try another pair of socks and a lot of that. And then um, making some toast and um, making sure that like my son puts on a pair of boots that are somewhat his size, not just the <laughs> pair that his sister has, cause he likes them better. Um, no, I, my, my daughter's almost five and my son's a little over two. And um, given that we've had like this, really crazy year of, of the pandemic. Um, most of my thoughts and energies have been on just getting through each day and making sure that with them and, and my, and my, and my, my partner works full time too. So obviously she is extremely overburdened at the moment as well. So I, I, I'm not like sitting around gazing at my like navel or, and, and, and considering the uh, the implications of, of my art in and, and, and the 21st century. I mean, it's doing everything from interviews like this to checking artwork to, you know, doing the stuff we talked about before that you would, you know, you, you were doing in pains. You know, I like, the reason I do music is so, I mean, the goal is to not actually have to work. You know, like the, the, the goal, yeah. not like actually work. It's like the music shouldn't feel like work is what I'm saying. It's like when... When bands talk about like I treat my I treat this as a, a career and I treat this as a 
a job and I take it seriously and I, I work eight hours a day on it. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm not saying everyone should be a goof off, but I do believe that a degree of, of goof off energy is, is necessary in, in the world of, um, uh, in this world, because I think, I think, I think music, or if you want to call it art, you can call it art. It doesn't benefit. Like the reason you do it isn't to have an, it isn't like at nine to five, I work on writing songs or whatever. It's just like that, that kills, that kills the spirit of it in some ways. I, I really, I'd really believe that there should be some, I mean, don't get me wrong. I try to do it the best I can and I take it seriously, but I don't treat it like a job because if it was just a job, then there's better ways to make money. You know, there's like, you can, yeah, there's yeah, like, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and, and I feel there's this like strange expectation that a lot of people have where it's like, if they work hard at something, they deserve to succeed. And yeah. that's, uh, that's true in most fields of life, I think. But I think with, with this, it has nothing to do with like punching a time clock. It's like, you kind of just have to have fun with it and do it for the reasons that you like doing it. And, hope for the best, I guess, but not like have this expectation that you deserve success because you've worked hard. And I I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say that I don't disrespect hard work, but I don't think hard work is the thing that animates uh, good songs. But you can have discipline and, and not have expectations. Yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing for being a fuck up. I'm arguing for, um, main, like, just letting the muses do their thing and not get in the way and have fun and uh totally yeah and not and, and not you know cuz if you if you treat music like your job it's going to sound like a job to listen to it you know it's like it's going to like it's like that that's that's at its core man it's like you have to kind of you have to have some levity some playfulness some some spontaneity some freedom in 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 your expression or else it just gets bogged down by seriousness and some some serious stuff is good, but that's I think that's what's cool so cool about the Black Country New Road album is it's like there's nothing that yeah. sounds on paper like it should be more self serious and self important than like nine yeah. people with an oboe making post rock. But then you mm-hmm. like listen to it and it's and it's funny and it's witty and it's honest and it's like self effacing and it has all these It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable, exactly. And it's that's the thing about it. Like my fear, it's like it's the Nirvana thing. Like there's probably gonna be like twenty seven bands that start up that try to sound like that that just get it wrong you know they, they forget that there's joy in it and there's like humor and grossness and all that stuff like and like with, with nirvana like people forget that like those songs so, sound so ebullient and like boisterous like they're not they're not like they're they're heavy and they deal with heavy things and they they're loud and but they're not they're not a drag to listen to you know they're 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 full of energy and life and vitality and i think with that black country new road record um that this shown through against all odds that 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 record is and that's what i'm sure that's what makes it special and i see like people are i'm not the first person that's like that's a cool record you know it's like it seems like people are getting it and that's like so that's great and I'm, i'm really happy for it so um 
yeah, so yeah it's, it's amazing sounding it's amazing sounding kip thank you so much this has been such a great chat i mean like you know it's speaking for an hour and a half i've had a great time hearing well, your well, Giles, like honestly this is like the first chance i've spoken to an adult about music in like, like maybe over a year or so like uh it was just ex- it was just as exciting for me to get to speak to you and um and i forgot i i know i forgot most of the time but there are people listening to this so um <laughs> thank you for letting me share my like uh, thoughts on um, whatever it is I shared my thoughts on with you today, but thank you, thank you for the kind words about pains and and for this for this new record. I, I it's um, it's heartening to know that there's people out there that um, I, I don't know how to say it. It's like I've I've kind of been in Princeton, New Jersey, doing things that aren't music for the last five years for the most part, and it's mm-hmm. it's fun for me to think like someone actually like remembers pains fondly and is excited to hear what. I'm up to next, you know, so thank you. For me, Pain's like held that period of time for, I think I discovered it when I was 18 or 19 in 2009 or 10 or 11. And I don't know, for me and my friends, you know, it was like the first and last thing we put on on a night. You know what I mean? Um, so it's got such a wonderful place in my heart. And as I told you on Twitter, you know, why don't you come out anymore? I've been waking up and listening to that tune. You know, I, I love it. I love well, it. Thank you so much, Giles. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, um, I, you can't see it on the radio or the podcast, but you know, I'm probably blushing somewhere in central New Jersey <laughs> right now. So thank you so much for your for your time. Brilliant. Just to end with, you know, how how does how does one go about, you know, I mean, bands are obviously releasing records and some of the best records in, you know, guitar music it, it, it have come out in the last few months. I'm thinking about, you know, Black Country New Road, Shame, uh, TV Priest, who are great if you haven't heard them. I mean, th- these are these are all bands that would obviously, you know, the thing to do is go on tour when you release a record what's the kind of standing right now with with the natural and the kind of organizational side of that how is that working for you um you know i i look forward if there is like even going on tour is like presupposes anyone's gonna like listen to the record and care but if people do check it out and there is the opportunity um of course i i really look forward to the chance to travel and play music there's like nothing more fun in this world than doing that um and in the meantime, I, th- I think it's kind of a blessing that people will get to hear the record and experience it and live with it for a while before, yeah. you know, yeah. I get to go out and play. It's like, a, it's a new thing. And it's not the worst thing in the world that if like, you know, next fall, if maybe things are better, I, I can come and play some shows and, and do things like that. But, you know, in the meantime, they can just live with the record and listen to it. I, I'm not, I'm not too keen on the whole like live streaming um I think the last thing people want to do is like look at their computers or phones even more watching bands play in their basement. Like I'll do a little of that. Um, I'm going to try to record a couple of things and try to do it a little more interesting than just me jamming in my basement. But yeah, for the cool. most part, I'd, I'd rather just, you know, wait to do it the right way. Uh, even if it means like, you know, people, it'll, it might take a little time, but I think there will be a future to look forward to. I hope. I think what you said there about being able to sit with a record and then you know and wait to see it live i think that could actually be a really powerful thing yeah i mean it's like i i think about that with uh what pains happened at first like we had this chance to go like we were playing shows and um we put our music on myspace you know i can remember that and it was like free and like we mm. played shows and people knew our songs even though we hadn't really even released anything it was like this amazing mm. thing like whatever four songs were on myspace which is basically all the songs we had anyway uh, we'd go and play them and people were like singing them back to us and we hadn't released anything properly. And it was, it's just a, a powerful thing how um, in different parts of the world, your music can be heard so much more. I mean, there are a lot of downsides to 
the the way technology has affected um, how people listen to music and all that. But I think there's a lot of positives too, where there is no barrier um, for being able to just hear something new and try it out for yourself and um, yeah. not rely on like, oh, I have to buy this magazine and read this record review. And if this like one guy thinks it's good or bad, or one girl thinks it's good or bad, that affects whether I'm going to go listen to it. You, people can just try things and people can experience things for themselves. And I think that's a cool democratic impulse to music. And uh, I certainly, from the start, I've always been more concerned about just letting people hear it than like, however people, however the business side of, of, of it works. It's like the most important thing is if you make a song, you hope people can hear it without too much trouble. And uh, technology at least has allowed for that. Amazing. Kip, I think that's a perfect note to end on. All right. Well, thank you so much, Giles. What a polite human. I hope none of you are too sick by us saying thanks to each other all the time. But thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please do that. I think I'll be back next week, although there is something that I'm working on that I'm going to announce very soon that I'm really excited about. I've been working on it for a couple of months now, already messed it up a couple of times and uh, and, <laughs> and trying to fix it now. But in the next couple of weeks, I should have something very special to announce that you'll be able to have in your hands about 101 part-time jobs. That's the plan anyway. I've said too much. Here's Cox Barra. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.